to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaefer. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. So I'm glad that you're talking to me today. I figured after the week you've had, you'd be flat on your back, passed out somewhere. So great. Well, yesterday I took the day off and um, I took my daughter to the zoo. And even then I couldn't escape the giraffe because they had a giraffe there that I had to get a selfie with. Uh, with. But um, that turned out to not being that most of a relaxing day because I think I still walked seven miles there all the way around Seattle Zoo. Well, that's okay. Mentally, must have been nice refresh. So I'm glad to see that. But uh, the the bits I saw from Build were great, and uh, we were joking before recording everyone that uh, I, I tried to take a picture of Jeremy, and I could never get a frame where he wasn't in some awkward <laughs> position like YouTube always did to him. So uh, I didn't post one. But uh, yeah, uh, congrats it, I, on getting on stage with Rajesh. That was that's got to be a big moment. Yeah, it was fun. I, I must sit with the video, like my facial expressions and stuff are just terrible. So um, having a freeze frame, Ina spoke to me afterwards. She goes, you know how long it took me to get a half decent photo of you where your eyes weren't shut or your mouth wasn't in some weird thing? I'm like, yeah, I know. That's just because I'm expressive when I talk on stage like that. <laughs> yeah, but, right. Um, yeah, well, you, you know, I never <laughs> notice it in person. It's always great and engaging. But that, yeah, when you right. try to grab one frame out of it. So, yeah. Yeah. But um, no, it was really cool to share this day with Rajesh and Kevin Gallo. And, uh, you know, it was nice to kind of get some quality time with them because, and it was quality time, like from other podcasts, I didn't really disclose, but, you know, we, it was three weeks of rehearsals and script writing and um, staying on message and more and more people coming and by committee changing what we were doing up until Sunday night, to be quite honest. So, um Really, for me, it the relief happened when I walked off stage after my seven minutes, and then it was like, okay, the rest of build can begin. And uh, I'd luckily had done the majority of my content for the team session that I did with Nick Kramer three weeks before the event because I like Yina had kind of said, hey, look, we were, you know, I'd like you to do the keynote because I'd shown why well, I had basically said when I started the Microsoft again that I really wanted to get the opportunity to be on stage in a keynote. And so Yina was really kind and, um, you know, asked if I wanted to do it because obviously Yina's been doing that for years. And uh, so luckily I pre, pre-planned um, and, and got ahead of myself with the, the breakout. And so there was only a little bit of tidying up I had to do post the keynote to get ready for my Wednesday session. So, yeah, I haven't seen any sessions other than the, what was live streamed on Monday. And so I think this week it'd be great to at least cover at a high level the message that came out of Build as it relates to our audience. And then in the following weeks, we can dive deeper. How does that sound? Yeah, and um, Rajesh actually did a great blog post, um, which is on the M365 blog around new people-centered experiences in Microsoft 365, the world's productivity cloud. Look at that for a bunch of buzzwords. But the content was actually good because it did really frame everything that was shown in such as Keynote and also Rajesh's Keynote that ran parallel with Scott Goo's Azure Keynote. And so we'll make sure you, all these blog posts and the recordings to the the videos themselves are available in our show notes. But I thought, yeah, it'd be great to kind of go through what Rajesh called out in his blog post and just start from the top and 
we can both kind of add color as we go through it. Uh, yes. So interestingly, most noteworthy to me is that the second paragraph, you know, there's an intro paragraph and then the, right after that, boom, Microsoft Graft is mentioned. So uh, nice yeah. to see that, that that's what's uh, what's being mentioned up top. And it powers the most important components such as team search and analytics, blah, blah, blah. So great visibility there. So that's got to be a bit, uh, bit rewarding. Yeah, and, and it was interesting getting one-on-one time with Rajesh where he kind of talked about what he, you know, this notion of graph-powered services and graph-powered experiences. And, and like, there's lots of ways that he sees the lens of the graph-powering things that maybe to date we haven't done at Builds and Ignites uh, in our PR and our blog posts. And, and so there's a lot of times where under the covers, sure, it's powered by the graph, but we don't we didn't necessarily lead with it from uh, the messaging that, you know, Yuna and I and Daryl and Mark and everyone else in the PM team from Graph talks about from an API perspective. And so you, you'll see from here on out now that, you know, the, the word graph powered experiences is essentially talking about any kind of user interface that you touch or experience through virtual assistants that is getting at Microsoft 365 data through the graph. Um, so it's not just being used as an API way of talking about things. It's very much a, a broader story of, um, you know, the graph being the underlying kind of connection to all the Microsoft 365 data, but there's all these graph powered experiences that, that takes advantage of it. Excellent. Now, the his, next thing he talks about is uh, Microsoft Edge. And obviously, you and I have chatted about Edge being built on Chromium before. But the thing that struck me as new was this Internet Explorer mode, which is aiming right yeah. at the heart of every enterprise on the planet who's got old web-based stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. Someone commented on the booth when I was talking about this of like Edge being kind of targeted for enterprise customers because of that one feature. But, um, you know, I'm using it at home um, with a consumer profile with Outlook.com and I found it to be super useful turning on the Chrome plugins and being able to use it basically like Chrome, but with Microsoft shell around around it has been super valuable. I agree. And it's exactly how I'm doing it. And I actually opted into a preview version on Android uh, for the coming sync capabilities. I haven't really seen much happen there. But then again, on the phone, I don't necessarily do favorites, right? I'm just kind of... Mm-hmm. linking from an email or something. So yeah, I, I'm using it in quote consumer mode as well. But I, and I think I mentioned this before, but it's certainly as, as we write things, we end up in different tenants and different um, environments in the cloud. And it's always a new profile of Chrome for a dev tenant and a production tenant. And I was always scared to, uh, to say, remember me, because then how do I get it to unremember in case I need to go to some other tenant, right? right but right. now that I can launch Chrome and, and log in with my developer tenant credentials and say, remember me, the silent login happens for me. Super. I mean, it literally is saving me hundreds of keystrokes every day as, as I launch browsers or refresh a page or something like that. So it's it's there is a lot of benefit for enterprise stuff as well. And this IE mode is going to help as much to it. This is, it's great to see. Can't wait for this thing to get that going. 
Yeah, like it, just experiences then user not having to have two IE, like an IE and an edge running. It's going to yeah. be huge. Yeah. Um, so I think it's smart that we're, you know, I, there was internal messaging that Joe Balthieri put out on edge and there was external stuff as well. But my biggest takeaway was is that, you know, originally I was like, oh, what are we doing? Like Chromium, that seems bad. Like it's bad for the internet. But, you know, already Microsoft's contributed back to the the open source Chromium uh, repos and Chrome, Ed Chrome has taken advantage of some of those contributions. You, you know, but, uh, um, and it's, it's sorry. And it's just allowing Microsoft to not necessarily focus on the, you know, trying to catch up with where Chromium was or try and differentiate from it, but just to kind of own that it's the same thing, but then we can add value in, in other ways in a browser experience. And I think collections is probably one of the first ways that we're seeing that. Um, that's a little bit different where, you know, like what was demoed in the keynote, well, both keynotes, actually, that's how much coverage it got, was this notion of like being able to surf the web and drag and drop images into a, into a collection and then output that into Word or, um, you know, an HTML page or a PDF. And I feel like things like that will start to really show value in Edge that would be hard to differentiate if we had to keep working on the standards things as a parallel to a Chromium. Yes, and I I meant to say the I read an uh, article from Paul Thorat, who is a longtime Windows person and, and was somewhat controversial in some circles, but he actually sat down with some of the edge developers and PMs and to hear their take on what this means for PWAs, for example, or or just uh, mm-hmm. integrating with native with OS capabilities and, and standardizing on that is is really pretty exciting. So from the developer side, there's certainly gonna be a benefit a lot of benefit. Uh, with the with them joining forces, so again, great to see that happening. Yeah, and there were some big legs on PWA Builder this week as well. Yeah. So if you've done anything with PDAs or want to know more, um, the PAX team who actually helped us build the or built sorry didn't help us they actually built it the graph toolkit that we announced this week. Also, are the ones that own the PWA Builder, and so yeah, the PWAs are going to be a big thing. I think if you're not aware of that stuff yet and you're still tracking, then this is definitely really important. Yep. And so, uh, and it sounds like Scarlett's worked out how to unlock my door of my office. Well, so the PWAs are exciting her as well. No, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so, so the next subject in, in Rajesh's blog post is when I'm going to need some help from you on this one. It's uh, the fluid framework for shared interactive web experiences. And so this uh, is an animated GIF, which looks like Hollywood Squares for people of a certain age who remember that. And, and it looks a lot like co-authoring in Word, but... Uh, it seemed to get a lot of uh, press, if you will. And so uh, can you give us a little hint on what this might be from uh, from the inside? Yeah, I think that we've seen co-authoring, obviously, in all of our office clients, whether it's Word and we've seen it in PowerPoint and, you know, even in OneNote, we see the refreshes. But I think what was demoed on stage in such as Keynote um, by Mike Morton was essentially, and not the Mike Morton that I was familiar <laughs> with from Visual Studio yeah. uh, extension days. He's back in dev. That Mike Morton's actually back in dev dev right now. He just moved back from 3D. Um, but there's another Mike Morton um, who owns Fluid Framework. Um, I was familiar with it from a code name, which I probably shouldn't say on air, but um, it wasn't just about co-authoring. The, the two kind of areas that I think really stand out to me um, is that it's a web standards based way of 
um, componentizing documents on the web. And so the example that Mike used on stage was having a Word document <clears throat> with a Excel spreadsheet or Excel chart in it, but then being able to edit the data in the chart, which would ultimately be editing the Excel spreadsheet that was embedded. And sure, we've had that before, but it was I'm pretty sure ActiveX controls and OLE controls, um, you know, needed certain versions of Word to work. And I think the way that this is going is, is that although the example was used where that was in Word with an Excel chart, is the idea is, is that you can build your own document constructs in whatever document builder you want or way of composing these things together you want, um, which is going to be super interesting to see what scenarios come up. Um, and then the other thing that they showed where they had the nine, the three by three grid of the nine different word experiences and he's typing in real time and it's automatically translating, translating it into eight other languages, um, which was really cool to see how quickly that was doing that and um, was <clears throat> that it kind of takes this notion of real time editing like crazy in terms of what you could hook into and have agents that essentially side by side do things. And, um, you know, there's basically going to be a software development kit that's going to be available later in the year. I'm not really sure of the timeframes here, but um, obviously we're using it internally already and we're going to open source that so everyone, all third party developers can use it as well. So I'm really jazzed to see what happens here. Yeah, I I am as well. And to summarize what what Rajesh even writes is that this will be web, well, it's a web experience as opposed to the history that you described being uh, Windows only. And there is a, a both an SDK and first party experiences powered coming up later this year. So uh, it'd yeah. be great to see what we see of this at Ignite. But uh, certainly want to get in some. Uh, we'll put Mike Morton on our radar to get some more details on him as, as you know, obviously as we get further through. And then somewhat related, um, the next topic we talked about was uh, intelligent agents. And the idea here is um, it's built on the semantic machines acquisition. But this video that was a part of Satya's keynote, I believe, right, or maybe in both, talks about the, the lady who's using Cortana on her phone to do a multi-turn dialogue to as she's walking in from the the coffee shop to her office so that's a great video and i think this is uh a bit aspirational yet or is the technology there i think you said you actually have seen some of this working yeah yeah so i mean nothing but last minute changes to the breakout (laughs) that i did with nick kramer um i had a whole bot framework v4.2 that i think you know you're aware you helped me um with some of the turn by turn uh, stuff to make the OAuth card work that now actually as of Monday, um, if you're using a bot and use the OAuth card, um, it'll essentially single sign on you on in teams and not require any device code stuff, which has been a bane of bots existence for a while now where, you know, although I'm logged into teams as Jeremy Thake, the bot didn't know anything about me and it didn't remember. And um, you had to jump to a window and copy and paste the code and give that back to the bot as a way of trust the bot trusting that is you that's doing it and so on top of the OAuth card stuff they actually released a virtual assistant visual studio 2019 template um, which uses azure bot service and cognitive services and cosmos db and app insights so you know you're really having to be a azure developer as well as being a bot developer but 
um, what was really cool is they have these new skills. And so they have five skills out of the box. Um, and they, they've got a bunch planned. They're going to be shipping open source. And um, the skill that I demoed in Nick and I's session was the calendar skill. And so they just, I mean, they didn't even really talk to us. They went away and used the calendar API um, to have a, a Lewis model over the top of it. And so you can do things like, you know, I typed in what's on my calendar, um, but you can do things like when is Paul available tomorrow or am I free at the weekend or can you change my meeting with Paul today um, by 30 minutes? And the model they've trained will do all that work for you and then call the graph to make those changes. And I was really skeptical until I actually run the setup and did it and was like, whoa, this is really cool. Like, it's amazing how it's doing. Like, it's just basically magic to me. Um, and so there was a lot of that video they showed that just from that one calendar skill, um, that video was doing already, which is great. Yes, it was. it's a very compelling video. I really like it. I'm glad to see that this is actually available now. And, and it shouldn't be a surprise that they could just go build a calendar skill without letting you know, because that's... Uh, the, the the graph can enables those kind of scenarios, right? So that, that's right, enough. That's it. Yeah, and and I guess it kind of reinforces the message that we've been hearing for quite some time. Microsoft is using the graph to do things, so if I'm using the graph to do things, you know, it'll it'll be what my customers expect because we're doing it the same way you guys are, which is uh, always always good to know. So, um, yeah, I think you know, well, it's I get my takeaway from that with that this particular team is is that. Um, at scale now, Microsoft is able to do things without like relying on teams like working day to day together. Like the graph, the way it's been built has allowed them to go away and build this calendar skill um, and, and have it work with you know natural language. And so you know that at scale, lots of teams doing that is going to mean the next years. It's going to be really exciting to see what what gets done. Yes, you know, and and on a bit of a tangent, we have obviously used Lewis and Q and A in our product, and and it's been a little struggle for me to get up to speed on it because I'm you know I didn't write the code initially, but trying to jump in and out, and then I type something and I don't get what I expect, and mm-hmm. and the takeaway for me is that you know what now if if there's a calendar skill that Microsoft has got and pushing out, and as you said at scale that's going to make these this net lewis and and now the recognition services much much better so that's from you know selfishly that's great to see that there's going to be more people hitting these services which, which is going to make them work better for everybody so great to see right, stuff right. yeah and i actually met the the guy that owns or and is the responsible for lewis and so i'm going to get him on the show as well which is going to be really cool i hope we just baffle me and I'll be lost within the first five minutes, but let's see how we go with that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with playing stupid and ha- asking the expert to talk more about it. So <laughs> that's <laughs> I've right. been doing that quite a while. Um, okay. Uh, ne- next on Rajesh's blog post is uh, something that we've talked about quite a bit, the graph data connect to get insights. And so this um, is went to GA, I guess, is the big news out of build on this, right? But uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, this has been now. So the, what is now called Graph Data Connect was shown to, I saw it uh, under NDA quite some time ago, and it's, it's been a journey, but it's great to see. And and concurrent with this, our old buddy John White has, has done a blog post on some of this stuff as well, which we can link to. But the uh, certainly is, is making it 
data available for our organization has got a lot of a lot of potential. And I, I'm guessing here this the video that they're showing is actually someone actually using that, showing companies how they can take advantage of it. Yeah. So the, the stand, this is kind of a different type of announcement, if you will, at Build. Is it's not just here's new tech, but here's a good application of that tech that's been around for a year, right? Yeah. yeah, and so th this is a great example where um, Abram Jackson and Tyler Nick, who are the PMs on this, um, have done a great job of getting beta partners involved in using Data Connect and applying it to like real scenarios. And so the video is actually Talentsoft, which is a partner in France um, that worked with Dior Couture, which is a clothing brand, where they were doing things with um, basically sucking information, see at an org-wide level, um, with permission of the org, to infer skills of individuals within the company, and then provide that skills information in a in a directive that allowed people to then discover people that were skilled in certain ways, um, particularly to their their industry which is in fashion and clothing design and so it's a really nice story to see you know someone taking what we'd done um, as a demo tenant around skills that we showed at i guess ignite last year um, where abram was on stage showing that and kind of drive that even further now now it's ga'd and you know obviously there's a lot of polish that goes into taking something from a preview to ga um Abram and the team will be working hard to bring in new data sets because the GA essentially was GAing mail, calendar, contacts, and users as the objects that you could at scale suck into Azure and then make kind of insights across. But, you know, in the future, as we kind of then pull in things like files, Teams conversations, and um, tasks, for instance, there's a whole other area of insight that can be uh, given for an organization outside of just skills and, you know, networks and who's got the strongest connections between who um, based on the singles signals of all those things going on in M365. So I'm really excited now they've got the GA out, like how aggressively they go on shipping things from next this ignite coming at the end of the year. Um, so yeah, it's really neat. Yeah, and I would you you took the words out of my mouth there, right? More workloads is is what's needed. Uh, mm -hmm. We do, we do a lot of talking about alternative ways of working or working collaboratively, and Outlook is probably the least real-time collaborative application in the suite, right? So being able to just get mm -hmm. emails is, well, helpful is not the whole story. So yes, I, I go knock on some doors and some other workloads and let's get this baby uh, fleshed out. That'd be great. Yeah. And there's some really cool scenarios. And I think, you know, one line in the keynote that got kind of axed uh, was me saying like, rather than, you know, walking on the tightrope of denial of service attacks, trying to get all the data out through our REST APIs that <laughs> Data Connect is the right way to do it, yeah. which got toned down you know, considerably in Rajesh's keynote based on, okay, all right, maybe that's going too far. Yeah. But um, you know, fundamentally, the REST API was never designed for you to, you know, every hour, take every single message that from across the entire organization and store it somewhere. Um, and obviously, you know, this allows organizations to stay within their compliance and governance well, boundaries. Well, that's it, right? And, and yeah. know, what's, know what's coming out into their Azure tenant, which I think is 
what customers really want. Yeah, to me, it's more it's it's less about the pulling it and pulling it, which obviously you know is a cost associated to run the service and consume the service. But that that behind the scenes push the data out is into some place that the customer controls is is gold. So that's that's good. To see. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked to see what people do with this because there's some obvious ones, but I'm really like pumped to see what people do with it that's outside those obvious. And there's some clever people out there that will do yeah. something great with it. So, so I, I enjoy my current job, so I won't say anything about what plans are up our sleeves <laughs> until it's time to disclose well, you know them. know how so. secretive Wes is, yeah. unless you're in a, a lockbox somewhere. He, you know, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a demo of the product still. Um, th- that sounds about right. Yes. Uh, so next on our list of topics is something near and dear to the the sharepoint folks is microsoft search and so for for some time now this is you've been able to use um your organization search on the bing homepage, and i had set that up in my tenant you know shapeline.net but you know with a tenant of just one person it was really kind of silly to have it there but the this is like the next evolution if you will so uh there's there's some old news here if you will the 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 sharepoint conference last year talked about having the search experience in the in the client applications as well and and there has been a unified search experience if you will in the sharepoint home page as well but now it's it's going to be moving more prominent throughout microsoft 365 and so I didn't get a chance to watch any sessions on this, but obviously being able to style the search results, which I think they, they showed a little bit of, a, of, of content coming from different workloads looking a little bit different, but there weren't many details in the keynote that I saw. So uh, Microsoft Search yeah. is going to gonna be great to, to dig into further, yes? In my part of the keynote in Rajesh's technical keynote, the... Um we, I did show off search in a few ways. And I think that the big takeaway for me, which I, I, it's the only way I do search now is hit the windows key and then type because the windows 10 search experience, if you're in fast ring right now, I yeah. think. Yeah. I was just going to say that works great um, for you, but the rest of us, not just yet. <laughs> yeah. Which so it's coming. It's coming. Um, but the, fa- the fast ring of 10 allows you to type and it's actually, because if you're signed into windows 10 with your organizational account, the search results come back exactly the same as they would in office.com or SharePoint home or, you know, in any SharePoint experience. And so for me, it's like wherever I am now, we hit the Windows key and type search. I'm getting my local search, but I'm also getting everything that's in M365. And I think this critical because I don't do anything locally. Like there is yeah. there is literally nothing I'm doing on my local machine. And I have a workstation at home. I have a workstation at my desk. I have my Surface Book. I'm just about to treat myself to a, a Surface Go. So like everything's in the cloud because otherwise I'm hosed because I won't have it with me. And so having this search basically do that is 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 really cool. Um, but the thing that I showed, which is visionary, and we, get, we announced a private preview uh, coming in the summer, is um, Microsoft Graph Connectors, which will allow you to, as a developer, to plug in um, not just files from an external service, um, or on-premises resource, but also user-defined type data as well. And so the big scenarios here is, is that, you know, you might not as a customer want to migrate everything out of Box, Dropbox, Google Drive. You might just want to connect it through the connectors and have it show up in those search results. Or for whatever reason, your company split with some stuff in M365 and some stuff in Box. 
is that if you know the box connector gets built you'll be able to see the microsoft search experience showing both you know outlook data and your sharepoint yeah. data or your teams data and so there's some really exciting scenarios there that you know i'd highly recommend watching the rajesh's section on on the graph where it highlights that stuff yeah. which is at like 32 minutes in or something yeah and and rajesh's blog links to a a blog post about microsoft search written by bill bear so we bill, we, we, so we, bill is the yeah. searchy guy now uh, yeah. yeah so which means means for those of us in the audience who have a sharepoint background we can imagine it's going to be very familiar and you discussing the connectors is a lot like what we've done in hybrid search uh, today Right to to bring content from local uh, file shares, et cetera, and push it into a unified index. So, very, very, very exciting stuff coming on here. Right, it's like the online version of our uh, BCS connector for search. You know, is how I yeah, would. That's, that's, uh, yeah. Obviously, the technology is going to be different, but uh, I think that's a great way it's, to uh, describe it. If, right. If you said that to James Lauer right now, who's the principal PM on that, he'd probably. Kind of be like, that's a little bit more complicated uh, 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 than yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure it is. But, but um, uh, just as a, as a concept, I think it kind of describes it yeah. to people with a SharePoint background, right? So, Yeah. And then um, if you look on Bill's blog post, you'll even see that they show people, files, sites, and teams in that screenshot for Bing.com search there of like, can I bring my cat to work? Like, which <laughs> seems like a weird thing to ask on an enterprise search. But sure, why not? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that's a yeah. That's Bill's humor at play there for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and then coming soon, it does mention to get insights from people, sites, devices, and documents. So you can imagine that as a, if I'm an IT pro, yeah. I want to see where people are hitting my tenant and give me lots of information. So very, very cool stuff. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Okay. Um, the next, going back to Rajesh's blog post, is my analytics. And again, it's another technology that has been kicking around for a while, uh, trying to show us, you know, how do we spend our time doing things on that. So, um, the uh, the the next step of uh, my analytics is is trying to proactively focus your time, right? So th there's a video that he links into in here that that'll cover into that. So I guess if you're, you could probably see better to this being at a large organization than I can, but uh, being able to carve out time in my yeah. day, right? Before you get started, right? I always I always tell my kids when they complain, I said, you know, no one takes advantage of your calendar unless you let them, right? I mean, your time is your right. time. So this tools mm -hmm. could have some help there. So. Yeah, it's really neat. Um, Mary, who was the first demoer in Rajesh's keynote, um, showed this actually. And uh, what's really nice about it is, is you know, the, I do this already a little bit manually. It was something that I think CJ actually taught me when I first joined in 2013 and said, look, you know, like you just said, you know, you're in control of your calendar. Um, you don't have to always look available. You can block out areas for focus time. And so I, I do that. I have three blocks right now that are three hours long, um, staggered around my week so that I know that on a Tuesday afternoon, it's my time and I'm not ever going to have anyone try and schedule a meeting with me unless obviously it's an exec that wants to do something. And then sure, I'll just throw away my focus time and what have you, but that doesn't happen a lot. Um, and, but what this is doing is it's actually monitoring how much time you get to focus and um, suggesting through literally clicking buttons to add blocks of time to hold it off. Um, but it also does some nice things around 
um, knowing that you're in focus time, changing teams to focus mode, which isn't available in releases yet. That was demoed on a, an inner ring. But the idea being um, that, you know, rather than putting do not disturb on, or out of office on is that you can be in a focus mode and then you know as that's like a commonly known thing across the all people will leave you alone hopefully um and so i i feel like this whole thing of context switching is really important it's something i struggle with i know others struggle with it as well is that you know you need time where you don't want any notifications and you're working on a document or you're writing some code or um you know you're watching a video learning something that you don't want to have to quickly go respond to a team's message or go in and respond to an email. You just want to be locked into what you're working on. And and so it's really cool that they're adding that kind of capability into my analytics. Yes, I would agree with that. And and it's uh, interesting that you brought up CJ because as the, the next item on Rajesh's blog post has a, an animated GIF with some of, the, some of the people that CJ created back in the day for our demo tenants with Patty Fernandez and Miriam Graham. <laughs> but um, he's talking about using actionable messages inside of Outlook, which, um, has, again, is a technology that's been around. But what they're showing here is a great connection between my analytics, as you mentioned, discovering when you need or when you should have focus time and sending you an email with a button and you click the button inside of an email and behind the scenes they can update your calendar, which again is a Microsoft graph call. So uh, Outlook, actionable messages for Outlook and the big announcement is now that's going to be supported in Outlook Mobile, which has been a yeah. large request. And and uh, uh, before joining Add-in 365, I had a customer that I uh, worked on long, long time and we were pushing them to adaptive cards and actionable messages. And so I actually, they just pinged me uh, last week saying, you know, most of our users now moving on an iPad. So can we get these cards to work there? And so the answer mm-hmm. now is going to be, yep, just wait. It'll work automatically uh, as soon as you get an update. So uh, yeah, I think it's on our, our beta outlook at the moment, which means it's probably rolling out pretty soon to actually, no, it is. It's out on our mobile in the iPhone store. Um, and so I, I demoed these, so did Mary in Rajesh's keynote. Um, the one I demoed was kind of cool, actually. It's something that SurveyMonkey are building, um, which is a feedback tool. We have one internally called Connect, um, and it allows you to kind of request, like, you know, I can request feedback from Daryl on um, how I'm doing and is there any ways I could improve and get perspective from him. And I can provide feedback to Daryl as well. And our own internal tool does this too. What SurveyMonkey did was they call the People API, which essentially looks at who you collaborate the most in meetings with and who you co-author documents with and who you, you know, message in email. And it'll provide a list of, you know, that frequently used contacts. And so SurveyMonkey sends a mail um, as an actionable message that has like, here, here's three people we think you should go request feedback from based on all that activity. And then right from Outlook Mobile, they can pick those people and click send. And um, it'll go and send, you know, a request for feedback to those individuals. But even the request for feedback, um, you know, the demo I did was it actually showed the person opening the email saying, you know, Jeremy's asked for feedback and right in Outlook Mobile, be able to respond to that feedback, asking, answering questions in the actual message. So you you don't have to like click on a link to jump into a browser to authenticate and start working. It's all being done in the actual message, which is really, really neat. So the, all that's built on top of adaptive card technology as well. But um, I think you're going to see more and more like 
of your consumer life we're using Outlook, um, start pushing these actual messages as well. It's not just going to be enterprise stuff. There'll be a lot of like billing things you'll be able to do and uh, bank emails where there'll be buttons in emails that work that, you know, traditionally you'd have been linked off to their websites to do things. Yes. And there's a lot, there's a lot for developers to love here. So number one, adaptive cards are terrific for getting data in front of your users, regardless of where they're at. You can send it to Outlook. You can send it through Teams. You can send it through the bot framework. You can render it in an HTML page. So when you're design challenged as I am, it's a great technology there. Um, and, and you mentioned the consumer side. You know, I have uh, an, a hotmail.com, as most of our listeners probably do. And, and even I've seen some of the suggested responses from Outlook show up as buttons, which so behind the scenes, I imagine it's a similar technology where um, it's already starting to show up in messages, um, which may be related to my analytics as well. But uh, again, hey, you have this email message that someone's asking a question, and if it's yes or no question, they're putting buttons at the bottom, yes or no, just click it and go. So certainly making life easier for people. Like I like that. All right, next in uh, Rajesh is uh, Ideas and Word, your AI-powered editor in the cloud. And this has got some really interesting uh, technology here. The, the the I remember in the demo they had, uh, I could type in, in the body of a Word document, I'm typing in, ask Jeremy for some thoughts about this. And it's uh, giving you a little tooltip that says, do you want to make this a, a document comment, et cetera. So uh, lots of enhancements coming around there, right? So uh, did you further demo this yourself? I, I don't remember seeing. Yeah, yeah. So Mary's demo was really neat and showed like, if you had chairman in uh context of a sentence that it would recommend changing it to chairperson to be more um you know inclusive yeah and and there was a bunch of grammar things it did um but there was also this notion of inline action so you know the amount of times i go into the document and see like highlighting and red bold you know jeremy to add this or yina to do this or tbd which then never happens <laughs> and so they had this notion of um going in and adding an action for that. Oh, hey, Scarlett. How are you? She wants to be famous on the pod show. You want to come say hi to Paul? Say hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. What do you know? Did you see a giraffe yesterday, Scarlett? Giraffe? Now you've gone microphone shy. So Daryl came over to visit, is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Daryl was dressed in that giraffe suit more than I was this week, I must say. Okay, let me take Scarlett back to mum, and I'll we'll uh, we'll come back two seconds. So, um, M- Mary showed inline actions. This allows you to kind of go in and put in things like, "We need this particular report added," or "Jeremy, can you add a paragraph on the SDKs?" or "Daryl, you need to do this to show how we're doing this in GitHub." And people would like use different syntaxes of highlighting in yellow or red or whatever. What Mary showed was you can at mention someone directly in the word canvas. So not in a review comment, but actually in the word document itself and go like at mention Daryl, can you add a quick paragraph on our Microsoft Graph SDK announcements? And Daryl would get an email and would be able to respond in the email using an actual message, what paragraph he wanted to add. And then this Word Canvas would receive the email and then inject that paragraph in. So just different ways of working with, um, the you know, like inline actions and 
the notion of understanding the content of the documents is really, really cool. And then the demo that I followed up to do was, um, as well as being able to at mention Daryl, like if I said, I want to add service tickets for this particular product, which the document was written about, um, that it would drop down and say, Hey, look, we found these particular service incidents. In this case, it was from our partner ServiceNow using Microsoft graph connectors, which obviously is in private preview and not released yet. And so this was actually visionary and with one click, the word author could push the button and it would actually render the service ticket information about the known issues for that product straight away. And so the whole theory is, is that, you know, we're not jumping out of context. We're not having to go to another system and copy and paste and format. You as a developer can train the word canvas to be useful to your users. If you start to see the, you know, lots of people doing the same thing, going into a different product and doing things and bring it back into word is that you could build those as, uh, you know, models that the word understands. So there's some really, really smart things that will make that, like they call it, AI powered editor in the cloud, um, which as a developer, you'll be able to extend. So I'm, I'm again, that one for me was probably the most exciting thing that I've seen in a while. Yes. And, and thinking back to office extensibility that we've done in the past or could do in the past is that, uh, I want to have the, the task bar, the task pane inside of word where I could in fact have a user click on a button and inject stuff into the document directly from the task pane. So we can envision this being, well, now I don't have to, the user doesn't have to open the toolbar or open my pane. The, the AI powered, uh, model can determine they're trying to do that for them and, and help them or, or remind them to do that. So again, this is evolutionary, not necessarily revolutionary from a developer point of view, but there's a lot of great stuff coming in there as well. Yeah. All right. And so um, the next thing Rajesh talks about is just a little blurb about teams getting some new policies to customize the experience around third-party and line of business apps. So there's a specific third-party app I think you all should should pin. We can talk about that in, in I get the marketing <laughs> department. But uh, so this is, uh, and then I've said this to, to uh, people in the past, is it's nice to see teams has got these IT pro backend policy governance capabilities in in the roadmap from the beginning, as opposed to trying to shoehorn them in later, like we did mm -hmm. long, long time ago. So um, that's this is almost nice. like they've learned the lessons of some of these other app stores who had it Microsoft, yeah, right? Exactly, right. So uh, and their their administrative capabilities in the graph uh, at at the same time as the the content APIs is great to see as well. So Teams keeps moving forward, and you mentioned you were on with uh, Nick Kramer, so who's our, our Microsoft graph rep for teams is what I like to call them. So nice to see teams getting some love there as well. Yeah. Pro tip on teams. And I don't know if you get this in Android, but on iPhone, if you open up teams, you'll see activity, chat, teams, meetings, and calls down the bottom, but above the teams icon, there's like a horizontal bar. If with your thumb, you kind of touch that and swipe up a whole other menu comes up, which includes files saved, organization shifts, camera, wiki. If you click on organization, you basically have a corporate-wide people finder. Um, and so it starts by default by showing you and your org chart, but you can then go do people lookups of anyone in your org. And um, I found this is the quickest way to go search for people. Prior to that, 
I'd used Outlook and created the new email, click to and search from that way, then launch the content card on my phone. But I actually find that this is the most useful way to go do that search. Now, obviously, you know, the data has to be accurate inside of your organizational <laughs> people profiles. And, you know, yeah. there might be a product on the market that I used to work at that helps there. But yeah, that was really cool to see that feature. Someone showed me that last week. Yeah, you know, that that bar has is in Android and it has been there for a while and I never really noticed it as a UI piece. So yeah, same thing works. I can slide it up and there's an edit button actually as well. So I'm going to have to see if I can get um, our work hub product uh, app installed on my phone there as well. So it'd be great to yeah. one tip, one tip access. So yeah, that's a nice pro tip. Thanks. That's great. I love teams. Good stuff. Right. And then I guess the thing that took the biscuit in Rajesh's keynote, in my opinion, was the terminal video that was like, <laughs> I mean, it's probably the most glamorous video I've ever seen for a feature um, in a dev, dev house. And uh, Kevin and I were laughing, you know, backstage rehearsing, going, oh, there's no way I can compete with that. That's ridiculous. Like, short of giving me rap music to walk on stage to or something. Um, but they've open sourced the Windows terminal and um, they've added a ton of stuff there. Like, I, I mean... He talked about emoji icon support, and I was like, eh, "That seems like a stretch." But the the notion of how you can render tick boxes and crosses as visuals rather than relying on ASCII is a big deal when running things in a console terminal window. But um, the the React Native for Windows was a huge announce too. Um, yeah. Yes, I, I would agree. Now, so um, in addition to to Kevin's blog post about Terminal, uh, I will also include a link to Scott Hanselman, who is my console hero, because uh, he was the first one that posted how to change the the foreground color to be Kermit Green, which matches the the screens <laughs> I used when I first learned how to write programs back. You know, when we put away the slates and had the green screen terminals, right? So. Uh, yeah, yeah, I love that. So yeah, um, the, the I, I I was I wanted to get that terminal. I was actually going to build it, but I need to upgrade my Windows version, and I wasn't ready to do that today. So looking forward to that as well. Yeah, just having the colors and being able to quickly spin up like SUSE terminal windows and having a color theme that's different from your Windows one, so you know you're not like accidentally writing in the wrong terminal window. It, you know, it sounds so minor, but it's been a long time, and I think. It's not the nice thing is is that you know five years ago this would just be an IT pro thing that people get excited about, but in building my um, demo for uh, the build keynote, well, sorry, I didn't build it. Mike built it, and then I was getting it running on all my machines to make sure it worked. Was that you know like I'm in terminal most of the time running npm commands and. Um, all sorts of different bits and pieces. And so th it's relevant for developers as well. And so if you, yeah, you definitely should go check that out. It was probably the biggest bit of news I could see on the tweet sphere, really, um, as in cool new stuff and a lot of press yeah. picked up on it. Um, but the other big thing was the whole idea of um, Linux being native on Windows, um, which I think as a web developer is huge because a lot of people I know use Macs to be closer to um you know, Unix, Linux core. Um, but the fact now that you can basically spin up environments and have Visual Studio code directly connect to it with WSL, um, you know, the reactions I saw this week from that has been crazy, like crazy bonkers crazy. 
Well, I was not part of that crazy bonker stuff. I worked on OSX back in the day. And, you know, just about two weeks ago, I, I stopped typing DIR slash S into GCI in PowerShell. There's not, I'm not about to go learn how to do that same stuff in LS anymore. <laughs> the, the, those brain cells are permanently dead. So, but I do. There's something about <laughs> old dogs and new tricks, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, so, but you know, in all seriousness, right? So a long time, I, PowerShell was good enough for me, right? To do the, the SharePoint things I needed to do and, and now working on SPFX with Node, well, somehow I'll, I can't get the Node environment working inside the PowerShell console. So I can see the terminal helping me do one window with multiple things going on, which instead of me typing a DIR in a Linux command, which won't work, it'll, it'll kind of help set that up. So there's, I agree there's a lot to, to enjoy about that. But now I need to figure out the integrated terminal in Visual Studio Code versus Visual Studio. So lots of, lots of tricks for this old dog to, to learn. So. <laughs> And that brings us then to the end of uh, uh, Rajesh's blog post, and this is quite a lengthy episode, so uh, thanks for debriefing some of this stuff for us, and, and I would shout out to the users, if, listeners, if there's a specific technology you want a deeper dive on, we're happy to try to track down some folks, and and uh, I, I plan on watching some of these graph sessions, that, the recordings of them, to be a little bit more intelligent about those, so any other thoughts you have about Build and, and the months ahead? No, I think, you know, just one habit that I've got myself into is, is that although build is over, there is a ton, ton of content that has been published. Um, and we'll have the links obviously to the graph ones, which we absolutely encourage you to go, go watch. <laughs> um, but in that tech, com- the mybuild.technicommunity.microsoft.com slash sessions, is everything across not just what we've covered m365 wise but across azure as well and as i mentioned you know like if you're building a bot you're touching a ton of azure products to to build that bot um and so it, it's definitely time as a developer to if you haven't started embracing azure to get in there and start understanding those products and i think a great way to do it is to watch the PMs talk about this. And in a lot of cases we were pushed really hard to be 300 level. And so um, most of Nick and I session was not slides. Um, you know, it was all showing code and talking about best practices and what we've learned from partners and so forth. And um, there was a huge push content wise with build for that to be the case. And so I think this is now like the best way of learning Azure and M365 is through that session catalog at build, which is free and available for you guys to watch on, you know, whatever devices you want to use. And so my takeaway would be, you know, go watch the keynotes to get a good frame of where Microsoft direction is going and then start picking and choosing breakouts and just adding some focus time to your calendar to continuously learn, which as a developer is just part of what our job is. Like, uh, you, I don't think you can sit still in, in development. You, you've always got to be ever growing. And I think that's why most of us are developers. So I'd say this new session catalog is a great place to go learn. And what he's saying is Paul has to learn some new tricks. So message received, buddy. No problem. There's just so many of them. So it's always great to, to catch up. And um, we will uh, we'll see you in uh, Vegas. Although we should have a session next week. I have a couple leads on people to interview next week. But uh, we'll certainly have a, a show and some stuff coming in, out of Vegas. And uh, we'll chat then. Yeah, perfect, mate. Have a good weekend. Bye.
for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 